This episode contains graphic content. Listener discretion is highly advised. Oh, hi. Fancy meeting you here again. You're probably wondering, why is there another episode of What the Actual F this week? I'll tell you in a moment. Let me get through the intros. Hello for those of you who are new here and this is your very first episode. My name is Harmony and I am your host on this podcast. Now let me go ahead and explain why there is a second episode this week. I was listening to the episode I released yesterday and wasn't very happy with what I had as a finished product. Now don't get me wrong, I love the Brittany Murphy case and I love that there's so much like suspicion and just a lot of like creep factor involved in the whole thing. But I did not feel very well yesterday. I still have a pretty serious sunburn, but it's gone down a ton, basically because I have been bathing in aloe since the moment I walked back into my hotel room on Saturday. I really think I should have just taken the day yesterday and rested, but instead I put together a podcast that right now I'm not very happy with. And if I'm not happy with it, I'm pretty sure people out there are sitting here like, is that, is that really what she's going to leave up for this week? That's, oh, she's going to, she's going to stay with that. All right, cool. I don't know if I'm going to stick around now. So allow me to make it up for you and give you this episode. Now this one's going to be a little different, like, okay, probably a lot different as this one is kind of just winging it. Let me explain. After listening to the podcast yesterday, once it was published, I just kind of sat there really unhappy with the finished product. And what does one do when bored, frustrated, anxiety-ridden? Obviously, you go to TikTok. So I spent what would be known as the next few hours, we're just going to leave it at that, definitely wasn't until 2 o'clock in the morning, and uh, found a video that, well, got me a little curious. World's most dangerous conspiracy theories. This picture represents conspiracy theories from the most well-known to the darkest. Some of these theories say that once you learn the truth, there's no return. For this series, we're going to be picking some from each category until we reach tier 10, the point of no return. Tier 10 is so scary that people are saying that I will literally die before I even reach getting the tier 10. People say you'll die, do they? Okay, let's take a look at some of these conspiracy theories. You want to stick around and see if we survive this episode? Come on, the world sucks anyways. Let's go out together. Here we go. Would you like to live forever? Spoiler alert, you probably don't. But there is a theory that says we are, in fact, immortal beings. Okay, technically this theory explains how you can live forever. Now let me explain this to you, and if you're going to be like somebody and complain that I'm talking too much in a podcast, then please just go turn on the TV so your mind can be distracted by pictures. All I'm going to say is I don't think podcasts are for you then, buddy. So if you're here for the long haul, let's go ahead and jump into it. Brian Cox, without hesitation, repetition, or deviation, can you please explain for us as succinctly as possible, I have a timer here, the rules of quantum mechanics. Your time starts now. Well, the most basic version I know of is, is Feynman's version, which uh, essentially says particles are particles and they hop from place to place with a particular probability. And the probability that a particle 
that's at some place will be at some different place later is given by a very simple rule. Um, it uses a quantity called the action, which is to do with the mass of the particle and the time and the distance. Uh, and, and you, so you basically calculate these little uh, quantities, which are to do with something called the action, and you add them up. So if I, if I start with an electron in one corner of the room and I say, what's the probability at some time later it'll be somewhere else? Then at every point in the room, you can assign a probability that it will be there at a later point with one simple rule. And that's it. Now, this is called the path integral formulation of quantum mechanics. That underlies everything else. You can, you can get the rest from that. So it's a simple rule. It says, what's the probability a particle will move from A to B? That's it. One of the basis of quantum mechanics is Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. The Heisenberg's uncertainty principle mainly states that the more precisely the position is determined, the less precisely the momentum is known in the instant, and vice versa. I'm going to have this broken down to you the same way it was broken down to me by a video on the internet. Imagine you're a blind man. In order to tell how far away an object is, you've developed a system in which you throw a tennis ball at an object, let's say a larger medicine ball. If your tennis ball bounces back in a short amount of time, you know that the medicine ball is close. If it bounces back in a longer amount of time, the medicine ball is farther. The problem is, however, that through observing where the medicine ball is, you've moved it and it's therefore no longer in the position in which you observed it. So basically what that means, in the subatomic world, it is essentially impossible to observe an object without affecting it. Which leaves us with the fact that all quantum theories must be based on and proven solely by thought experiments. Again, this is a summary. It takes so many years to truly understand quantum mechanics and quantum physics, quantum theory. Just, you can get lost in the world that is quantum. But for the sake of this episode, there was your lesson. If you don't know a lot about quantum mechanics, it's okay. You don't really have to for this theory as it is a theory. I just wanted to lay it down for you so you kind of have an idea. But if you are interested, I highly suggest you look into it because there are a lot of things that quantum mechanics can explain about the world. All right, let's continue on with this quantum immortality by quantum suicide theory. To really get into depth with this theory, we have to first start with the many worlds theory. That's right, this is a theory within a theory, theoryception. What's the most resilient parasite? An idea. Okay, for those of you who have no idea what the many worlds theory is, let me go ahead and break it down for you. The multi-world theory is basically the multiverse. Okay, here's an example. You go out to a restaurant and you're stuck between chicken fingers or your own personal pan pizza. When you finally make the choice and you get chicken fingers, what happens in this theory, it's stated that at that moment, it splits into two. Your world has just split and in another world, you chose the pizza. So to knock it all the way down to layman's term, basically every time you choose or make a decision, you have created another world, a world or a timeline where that decision, the opposite of what you chose, was done instead. But of course, we're left with both or all of the worlds. It's just a continuous cycle and they keep getting created. 
Now, what this means is that there is you now who chose to have the chicken fingers, but then there's another you that's living on and enjoying the fact that they had their very own personal pan pizza. Neither are any the wiser that the other had their choice instead. This theory states that anytime anybody or anything makes a decision, the world splits. This theory means that you, me, and everybody else inhabit nearly infinite universes. That's right, guys. If you're not happy with who you are right now, it's okay. There's another world you that's probably not happy with themselves either. But, 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 apparently there is a unmatched amount of worlds out there, so one of them's bound to be happy. Right? Someone? Hello? Hello? <laughs> Now let's go to quantum suicide. In this thought experiment, you, the experimenter, are standing in a box with a nuclear bomb that, if exploded, will immediately and unconditionally kill you. Hooked up to the bomb is a trigger that measures the spin value of a proton every three seconds. If the proton spins one way, there's just a click sound. The other way, the bomb explodes. Statistically, the proton should have a 50% chance of spinning one way or another, so the chance of the bomb going off or not is truly random. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. At this point, there's only a 12.5% chance that the bomb not going off was random. We'll keep going. Three, two, one. Three, two, one. If we fast forward 300 seconds after the proton has been measured 100 times, there's only an 800 octillionth of a percent chance that your survival is random. We can now conclude beyond a reasonable doubt that you are immortal. Okay, so if you're wondering what that whole thought experiment is supposed to let you see, is that basically every time that bomb did not go off, it's because the universe split into two. When that happened, there's a universe where the bomb went off and you died like that. But then there's the universe that you're in right now and you didn't die. It didn't go off because you're still conscious and you're aware. That leaves us with the question of why didn't you go to the universe where the bomb exploded? Don't worry, there's a simple explanation for that. But before you run to the casino because I'm going to tell you that you're just really lucky, no, that's not at all what it is. To simply state it, the version of you that did explode, that died, ceased to be conscious. Which means you don't know that you died. Only the version of you who lived knows you survived. And of course, the next time the bomb went off, it's the same thing. You only know you survived because you're still conscious. Only the living version of you continues to have a consciousness, which means you continue to have an existence. Basically, you won't know that you died because only your living self will keep consciousness and existence. But here's some questions that this does bring up. If you do survive something of this sort, are the people around you different? You know, like, do the people around you jump into this alternate version of life as well? Are you the same you that you were before? Uh, am I the real me? Like, there's so many me. Am I the am I the original? You know, a lot of shit comes up. If 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 you don't die, then how come you've had people in your life die around you? Why is death possible if we're immortal? These are the questions that come up with this theory.
I have so many questions! Now, please don't try to test out this quantum immortality by quantum suicide. It is a thought experiment, as many experts believe that these experiments would not work in the real world. An expert in thought experiments when it comes to Schrodinger's cat, Max Tagmark, now believes that from your own point of view, the person in a thought experiment should not expect immortality, since they will die in some worlds. This means afterwards, they exist in much fewer worlds than they had before. Because according to Max, dying isn't an instantaneous event. Instead, your consciousness slowly dies. Meaning, when those choices happen and you do survive, the one that died just shut down a whole world to you. People are less likely to find themselves in a world where their own existence is less likely. So therefore, there is only a possibility, not a certainty, that a person who does the experiment would survive. So there is that conspiracy theory, that tier 3 terrifying theory that we could be immortal. Because remember, according to this theory, just because someone died in your universe doesn't mean they died in theirs. And let's flip that around. Just because you're alive in your world doesn't mean you are in somebody else's. I'm immortal. That's just great. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I'm immortal. I'm immortal. Bounce. I'm loving this whole immortality gig. Don't sweat it. Bounce. I'm immortal. I'm immortal. Bounce. You're immortal. So if you go. Immortality. So that's all the ladies. You can. The quantum immortality, quantum suicide theory is a tier 3 conspiracy. Why don't we jump up to a tier 6? Welcome, new personnel, to the SCP Foundation. Congratulations on your recent appointment. You can take pride in the knowledge that you will be contributing to a multitude of ongoing containment and research endeavors that aid immensely in the protection and betterment of the entire human race. May this insight provide you comfort during the grueling, dangerous, and menial work you have ahead of you, as any mention of your work here to the outside world in search of additional praise or grandeur will result in your immediate termination. That's right guys, the SCP Foundation. For those of you who are unaware what the SCP Foundation is, let me go ahead and fill you in. The SCP Foundation is a fictional organization documented by the web-based collaborative fiction project of the same name. Within the website's fictional setting, the SCP Foundation is responsible for locating and containing individuals, entities, locations, and objects that violate natural law. These are referred to as SCPs. This real-world website is a community-based site and includes elements of many genres like horror and science fiction. On the site, the majority of works consist of special containment procedures, structured internal documentation that describes an SCP object and means of keeping it contained. The website also contains thousands of Foundation tales. These are short stories that take place within the SCP Foundation setting. The series has been praised for its ability to convey horror through its scientific and academic writing style, as well as for its high standards of quality. 
safe classification is given to SCPs subject to easy and safe containment. Do not be fooled. Safe classification does not indicate that handling or activating the SCP in question does not pose a significant threat. Euclid classification is given to SCPs requiring additional efforts and resources to adequately contain. Generally, any SCP with autonomy, sentience, and or sapience will receive Euclid classification due to the inherent unpredictability of objects that can act or think on their own accord. Keter classification is given to SCPs exhibiting extreme difficulty to contain, if containment is even possible. While Keter classification simply denotes difficulty to contain, SCPs with this classification may also exhibit extreme power, intelligence, and or world-ending capabilities. Take extreme caution when working with Keter classified SCPs. Within the website's fictional setting, the SCP Foundation is a secret organization entrusted by governments around the globe to contain and study anomalous individuals, entities, locations, objects, and phenomena operating outside the bounds of our natural law. And these are referred to as SCP objects or SCPs, and even skips. If left uncontained, the objects would pose a direct threat to human life and humanity's perception of reality and normalcy. We also recommend familiarizing yourself with the SCP files prior to interacting with different SCPs. Please regularly check this database, as your access to SCP files will be constantly updated on a need-to-know basis, corresponding with your updated security clearance status. The existence of SCPs is withheld from the public to prevent mass panic and to allow human civilization to function, well, I guess what we would call normally, if that's, again, what you call whatever the hell we're doing as humans. When an SCP is discovered, the Foundation deploys its agents either to collect and transport the SCP back to the Foundation facility or to contain it at its location of discovery. This is only done if the SCP's transport is not possible. If an SCP is far too widespread, elusive, or otherwise inaccessible, containment consists of suppressing all knowledge of the SCP from the public. So could we call the Mandela Effect that kind of SCP? Because if so, that would explain why so many of us remember Sinbad in the movie Shazam. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start all over, right? I'm going to introduce myself. I am Shazam! I'm the genie of the land. Once the SCP is contained, it is studied by the Foundation's scientist. Test subjects are acquired by the Foundation and commonly referred to as D-Class. D-Class is used to interact with the most dangerous SCPs. This is because the Foundation sees the D-Class as expendable. A word of warning. Access of the Foundation database by unauthorized personnel is strictly prohibited, and any personnel found distributing database files or classified information may be subject to demotion to D-Class. The SCP Foundation maintains documentation for all the SCPs in its custody, which can include or link to related reports and files. These documents describe the SCPs and include instructions for keeping them safely contained. Again, 
Welcome to the SCP Foundation, and thank you for your service. Now are you ready for this Tier 7 terrifying conspiracy? This theory states that SCPs are based on real life. And that's my cue to exit. Yeah, um, I don't know how I feel about that one. In case you are new to the SCP Foundation, I'm going to give you a few examples of what an SCP is and what it's capable of. So, if this theory is true, you can see just how terrifying it could be. Now, in order for you to really understand this theory, I'm going to need you to jump in. I'm going to need you to drop any doubt in your mind that there is anything else possible in this world besides what your eyes can tell you. Because fact of the matter is, just because you can't see it, doesn't mean it's not real. Or, to really put it simple, just because we ignore it, doesn't mean it's not there. For those of you who have no idea what kind of SCPs are hidden among this SCP Foundation, allow me to enlighten you. This document was recovered from the site redacted precious document vault. Anomalous object AO1504 WGGYXJK. Item description An unremarkable man who is not able to be harmed. Date of recovery. Location of recovery. Current status. AO1504 is held in a standard humanoid containment cell, which has been stricken from the document and replaced with missing. Addendum 1504-1. Interviewed. AO1504. Interviewer, Dr. Lloyd. Forward. AO-1504 is being questioned on its background. Playing log, now. What is your name? I don't remember. Joe, something. Okay, now, what year were you born? 1982. Thank you for the year, but do you have an exact date? No. I never knew when I was born. Oh, excuse me. My nose is bleeding. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was weird. I've never been prone to random nosebleeds. It's fine. Maybe a storm is coming. I've heard the changing air pressure can make a person's nose bleed. Maybe. Do you know why you can't be hurt? talk about that's fine thank you for your cooperation with today's interview you may return to your room scp 1504 also known as joe schmo is a plain and unremarkable looking caucasian male he was originally contained for his inability to be harmed however that is not his real anomalous property 
His much more notable ability is that everyone and everything around him will perceive his actions within expectations. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Dr. Miller, and the SCP we're going to be looking at today is SCP-507. Object class, safe. Special containment procedures. SCP-507 is allowed free roam of the facility, obviously barring anything that would breach security or safety protocols. Any time SCP-507 leaves its private quarters, it must be accompanied by an agent, mostly at this point, to make sure that it does not shift without the facility's knowledge. SCP-507 is a Caucasian male with blonde hair and green eyes, sporting no other outstanding characteristics besides being somewhat overweight and speaking with a vague accent of disputable origin. SCP-507 will also respond to the names Tommy, Steve, Bruto, Guy, Houdini, and Grabnock the Destroyer. SCP-507's property was initially believed to be that of basic teleportation, as witnesses following its containment described him suddenly disappearing and then reappearing at a different spot sometime later. When questioned about this property, however, SCP-507 has noted that while his property could more or less be used in that manner, it was more of a side effect. SCP-507's actual property, however, involves him suddenly displacing himself from one current reality only to appear within an alternate reality. He is known as the Dimension Hopper. I'm going to share with you now the very first SCP that I heard of. This is SCP-178. Description. SCP-178 is a pair of white stereoscopic 3D glasses with a rectangular white cardboard frame and lenses of transparent blue and red, left and right lenses respectively, plastic. The item exhibits no unusual physical properties, apart from a slight discoloration of the cardboard consistent with age. When worn, the wearer begins perceiving large bipedal entities in addition to its ordinary surroundings. Entities reportedly exhibit a docile and occasionally curious behavior. Reports include entities leaning over the shoulder of persons working and observing them with interest. With one exception, any attempt by the wearer or any other personnel, see Incident Report 178-14-Alpha, to directly interact with the entities results in severe lacerations suddenly appearing on persons involved. SCP-178 is a pair of supernatural 3D glasses, at least to put it in layman's terms. Apparently, these glasses were recovered in Tennessee. These were collected by an agent that was deep undercover for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. The agent discovered the glasses when he was called to the scene of a child's death. This death was definitely unusual as it was on the second floor of an apartment building and it was caused by some sort of unusual mauling. While the agent was in the room checking out the scene, he discovered the glasses under the bed where he believes they were thrown during the child's death. Now, I'm not saying that this theory is true at all, but holy shit, could you fucking imagine? Honestly, if you don't know anything about the SCP Foundation or just about SCPs themselves and you don't really want to Google and read, go to YouTube and just simply type in SCP. And there you go. You will have your pick. But to imagine that these could be based on anything real according to this theory, 
Well, I've, I'm just going to say that is not something that I'm okay with. No, don't like that. Well, now that I'm never going to sleep again, I was thinking we could go ahead and just let's pull it down to tier four for this final theory. This is the Black Hope Curse. Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Two families move into an idyllic suburb only to discover that their homes lie on top of an abandoned graveyard. Soon they are tormented by strange phenomena and threatening apparitions and are driven into a state of complete terror. Are the spirits of the dead seeking vengeance on the living for the desecration of their graves? Just outside of Houston, Texas is a neighborhood filled with upscale homes and manicured lawns. In the early 1980s, Sam and Judith Haney settled in at the far western edge of the development. Sam described it as their dream home. When we bought the house in Newport, it was the house that we had always been looking for. So it, it was the house that we intended to stay at for a long period of time. There was a morbid secret about the home, however. One that soon turned their lives into a never-ending nightmare. Sam said it all began with a mysterious old man who showed up at their door with an ominous warning. Yes? This elderly man told me that he had noticed that we were putting a swimming pool in our backyard and that um, there was something about our backyard that I needed to know about. So I followed him around to my backyard. He pointed at the ground and said that there are some graves right here. There were two graves. And he marked a spot on the ground where they were. And I really didn't know how to react to that. Well, Sam didn't want to sit back and just assume what the man was saying was true or false. So he decided to check for himself. And according to Sam, when he went digging, it wasn't long before he found something. Stop! Hold it! Hold it! I think I see something. We encountered some wood hey. fragments, and at that point we stopped we with the backhoe, and we got down into the hole and continued digging by hand. There was pine boards when we lifted up the first board, we could see the indentation of a skeleton form. It didn't take long to figure out that it was an actual human remains. This is when Sam realizes that he uncovered an old pine box with human remains. Sam immediately called the sheriff and county coroner who conducted an official exhumation. At this point, most of the bones had turned to powder. They were still able to uncover 25 fragments, some of which were so brittle that they had to be careful when they touched them. Then, a second coffin was located alongside the first one that hadn't even been disturbed. Judith was mortified when she saw the rings on the skeleton's finger in the second box. They handed me the rings and it was sickening. My feelings were sick of my stomach to think that I had desecrated somebody's um, grave. Horrified me. At this point, they just want to do the right thing. 
So they decided to find out whose remains were buried in their backyard. Their search led them to a longtime resident by the name of Jasper Norton. Years earlier, Jasper had dug several graves in the area. He told them that their home and a dozen others were built on top of an old African cemetery called Black Hope. The deceased were mainly former slaves, and the last burial was in 1939. There could be as many as 60 people in these graves, according to Jasper. The two people that were buried in their backyard were Betty and Charlie Thomas. They died during the 1930s, and their graves were eventually forgotten. So now that Judith and Sam know who's buried in their backyard, they decide to rebury them. But instead of putting them anywhere else, they bury them back in their yard. And they just simply prayed that the spirits would rest. Maybe this would allow them to find peace since they were remembered and no longer just forgotten graves. However, according to Judith, this did not make Betty and Charlie's spirits very happy. There was a clock in my bedroom and one night it started sparking and putting out sort of a blue glow. So one night, according to Judith, one of her clocks is doing stuff, well, that clocks don't do. It's, it's doing non-clock things, apparently. And she goes over and checks on it, only to find out that it is unplugged. And this would be just the beginning of what they were going to endure. Now, Sam worked the night shift, so on another night, Judith was left home alone. What you doing? I heard the sliding glass door open, and I heard, which I thought was Sam, saying, what you doing? And it sort of shocked me, and I thought, well, he forgot something. Everything was quiet, the sliding glass doors were locked, and I thought, well, you know, you must be losing your mind. <laughs> this really must be getting to you. But much to my amazement, that's not where the story ended. In the morning, I awoke, went in my closet to get my red shoes, and I could not find them anywhere. After Judith has a very odd incident where she is home alone and swears she hears Sam come in the house and ask her, what are you doing? Though nobody's there and the door definitely wasn't open, the next morning she goes to look for something and cannot find it. Well, just like anybody else, if you can't find something, you're going to probably ask somebody around to see if they'll help you. And this is where Sam steps in. So, of course, I started looking for them and went through all of her closets where she normally puts things. And we just couldn't find it. We had walked just a short distance where the grave sites were, and I could see something on the grave. It was the shoes that Judy was looking for that morning. And they were both side by side, like someone had just picked them up and carried them over and laid them down on the graveside. I'm gonna make this a little bit creepier. At this point, Sam realized it was Betty's birthday on this very same day. And I kind of got the feeling that it was like Charlie 
was giving Betty a birthday present. I began to come to the realization that this was not all in my mind and that this had to have some relationship to Betty and Charlie's graves being disturbed. Sam and Judith believed they were not alone. Now, Sam and Judith were not the only ones who had experiences. In fact, several of their neighbors would report seeing lights in the windows. People would see televisions and water faucets turning on and off in the property. And people would hear unearthly sounds and see supernatural apparitions. To make matters worse, these events were becoming malicious. Let me tell you about another couple who moved into the same area. Ben and Jean Williams thought they had found their suburban paradise when they moved into the very same neighborhood. But Jean said that she never felt at peace in her new home. And then after we moved in, everything changed. When I tried to plant new plants, they just would not live. No matter what I did, you know, fertilizer, whatever, I, they still did not, would not live. And um, I constantly had a foreboding feeling, a feeling of things are not right or something bad is about to happen. The Williams said that right near their flower bed, sinkholes appeared in the unmistakable shape of a coffin. If you ask me, that's kind of cool. The Williams also said that they would fill those sinkholes in only to have them reappear a few days later. That part is not so cool, especially if you're like super into gardening. I'm sure you don't want that all ruined by these badass sinkholes nonetheless. The Williams also felt that their ideal home was being invaded by some menacing presence. The Williams claimed that they would see shadow figures, hear whispering, and sometimes would be struck with a very foul odor. God, sorry, I farted. During this time, the Williams' granddaughter, Carly, lived with them. Carly stated that during the excessive heat of summer, she would randomly stumble into extremely ice-cold pockets of air. It would be very, very chilly, and you'd have just this feeling of foreboding or just, you know, like, either something wasn't right. Anywhere in the house, you'd have a feeling that you were not alone, that somebody was watching you. It terrified me to be in the house by myself. The toilets used to flush on their own. Do you hear the voices? As the water went down, I could hear, it was almost like conversations. Like I could hear people murmuring to themselves. It was a presence or spirit or something there, something that wanted to be heard, wanted me to know it was there. Jean Williams herself 100% believed that there was something in that house, and she had no doubt that she knew exactly what the source of the disturbances were. One time, Carly and I decided to take a nap. Carly had her book, and she was reading. And all of a sudden, we heard the back door open. What was it? Someone come in, close the door. We heard footsteps coming up the hall. We both looked at each other, and, and then we both looked towards the door.
was at this point that I realized somebody was in our house that didn't belong there. We looked everywhere, nothing. There wasn't a soul in that house but us. What the noise was, I don't know. It's locked. It was terrifying. Even to this day, I still feel it was a presence, like a ghost, if you will. I mean, it was, it was something there. It was something that was trying to scare us. I absolutely believe that all of these things happened to us because we were on the graveyard. Jean's husband, Ben, also had his very own experience as well. I came home from work around 10 after 12 for midnight shift, and I walked straight to the kitchen, opened the refrigerator door. And that's when I seen these two ghostly figures. And they went straight backwards in, into the den. And then they started moving toward the hall going down to the bedroom. I noticed that they was heading right down the hall to Jean's. Well, when I walked through the bedroom door, instead of two forms being there, there was just one. And it was standing right about a foot and a half from the end of the bed. Uh, the only thing I really thought of, they ain't messing with my wife. As I dove through it, I felt a sticky, cold sensation in my body. Are you okay? And I turned around, looked at the end of the bed, and was nothing there. Let's go back to the Haney's for a second. All of this stuff happening at Judith's house was causing her to have a real breakdown. She said that she was crying all the time, was completely frightened, and was scared just to do her daily routines in her very own house. Can you imagine being afraid in your house? That's the one place you should feel safe. The Haney's decided that they were gonna fight back and they did so in court. They sued the builder for not disclosing that their home was built over a cemetery in part so that everyone would know what was happening at their subdivision. A jury awarded $142,000 for mental anguish, but a reversal ruled on legal grounds that the developers were not liable the verdict was thrown out and Haney's were ordered to pay $50,000 in court cost. And at that point, we decided to file bankruptcy. So all in all, we ended up losing the case, losing the money, losing the house. We were exhausted and we got in our car and went where there was love and support and tried to put it behind us. The Williams weren't ready to fully give up as they still explored some more legal recourse. But they were told that without definitive proof of a cemetery on their property, obviously the bodies and all those graves were not the proof that's needed because our judicial system is shit. 
They were told because they didn't have this definitive proof, because like I said, dead bodies aren't enough, nothing could be done. And that was that. This is when Jean decided to make a decision that she would forever come to regret. That was the last straw. You want a body? I'll show you a body. So I thought to myself, I can dig and I can dig about two feet a day. And I knew I would reach a body. Not long after Jean started digging, she fell ill. So her daughter, Tina, volunteered to finish the job. After just about half an hour of Tina digging, she also started to feel very sick. Carly happened to be there on this day. And she dug for, I'd probably say almost half an hour. Ooh. Are you okay? Yeah, I feel just a little faint. I'm and um, I remember her saying that she was, that she felt funny. Um, she was getting dizzy as well. <laughs> And uh, she put the shovel down and she went back inside. You lay down, honey. And she just laid down on the couch. She's like, Mom, Daddy, I don't feel right. You know, there's something wrong. We got to call 911. The last thing I remember her saying was, um, Mommy, take care of my baby. Take care of my baby. And she looked so scared. Talk to me, Tina. Almost immediately, her eyes started glazing over and I was talking to her trying to talk her out of dying please Tina talk to me and all this time her eyes were changing until they got to the point where I knew that she wasn't with me or she wasn't you know responding at all Tina had suddenly suffered a massive heart attack and sadly two days later she passed away Jean instantly held on to the blame for her daughter's death. And I realized that I had desecrated another grave and now I'm paying. I told Ben, I said, we have to get out of here. It doesn't matter what we lose, what we add. Nothing matters except that we get out of here. And I knew that if we didn't, that I was not going to make it. The Williams did eventually go and move to Montana and then later move back to a different house in a whole other neighborhood in Texas. Today they state that they are no longer harassed by any of the entities that they dealt with at their old house. However, back in the old neighborhood, none of the current residents have reported any paranormal activity. So you're probably wondering, why the fuck did I just tell you all of that? Well, according to this tier 4 theory, the Black Hope Curse, what you just heard, is very real. I want to tell you my secret now. see what they want to see. 
they don't know they're dead. So what'd you think? Did you like the three theories from the list? Would you like to know more? Because I could absolutely sit here and tell you so many more, but unfortunately, this episode shouldn't get any longer. Some of you will not stick around for it if it does. So I'm going to save the rest of this list for future episodes. Because I don't know about you, but I'm definitely intrigued. And hey, it looks like we survived. Okay, I might jinx myself because I haven't uploaded this yet. So <laughs> let's see if we actually make it to the end. If you made it all the way to the end, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to this whole episode and, you know, sticking it out for the last one if you stuck around for that as well. And if you didn't listen to the last episode, it's okay. You're good. I just hope that this episode made up for what my lackluster abilities did yesterday. Besides, I really love looking into conspiracy theories. They intrigue the shit out of me. And the ones on this list are insane. So it looks like we've got our work cut out for us for the good foreseeable future. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. You and I both learned the stuff at the same pace. Usually I come into these episodes with exactly what I'm going to tell you. But I did this episode all on a whim. So when you learned it, I did too. Here we are, that fateful moment where I must tell you goodbye. So long, farewell, oh I'd like to stay and taste my first champagne. Yes? No. <laughs> and if you'd like to reach out to me or the podcast, send an email over to whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. I really hope I made up for yesterday's episode with today's. I hope you guys have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you on the next episode of What the Actual F. Until then, stay safe, I love you, and sweet screams. Uh, it ain't no lie, baby, bye.